All right, today is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Are you excited about that? I don't know if you picked up on that from the songs uh, that we sang this morning. And, uh, but that being said, I'm going to read from our text for today, which is from Luke chapter 21. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, um, you can. And this is such a Christmassy passage. I think you're going to enjoy this. So these are the words of Jesus. Uh, we're going to start in verse 25. And I'm going to read this all the way through, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started on this. Jesus says, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Are you feeling the Christmas spirit? <laughs> People fainting with fear and foreboding. This is really a Black Friday text of what is coming on the world, for the power of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. It's a trap. For it will come upon you. All who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And then Luke writes, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, story. And as we look at it today, I pray that you... Uh, Teach us some things and help us to remember things that we've forgotten. Um, God, as we enter this season of Advent, uh, we pray that as a church family, that we catch the spirit of what's going on, uh, not only in our passages each week, but in uh, the world that you are actively engaged in. Help us see that. Help us to see you working. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Every time that I read this passage, it reminds me of uh, Florida. It reminds me of Florida. Uh, let me clarify, my in-laws live in Florida, and uh, that's not the joke, but I'm glad you're with me. Uh, and every time we go and see them, they live just south of Tampa and Bradenton, anyone? Couple, you? Is that near your hometown? Okay, further down. Yeah, I don't care. I, Bradenton's as far as I'm going. Yeah. So uh, every time we drive to Florida, we get in the car and we take I-75 all the way to their uh, house. And right as you get into South Georgia, and particularly when you cross over into Florida, you enter this kind of apocalyptic land of billboards that line the interstate, and they're all about like Jesus is coming again. Have you seen these? So I've got just a couple that I want to show you. Uh, these, these. I'll be back. I will be back.org, by the way, is a, uh, the, the site is no longer working. I checked that out the other day. So I'm assuming they came up with this during the Terminator days, but um, I'll be back. So there's Jesus in the clouds. This is the one you see as you're driving down the road. And then a few miles later, you kind of have this one, this next one, 
Um, have you made a decision? Jesus asks, have you made a decision? My, I, I tried to get some pictures of these uh, the last time we were down there, but I just kept forgetting. Um, but I knew I wanted to talk about these because they're so funny to me. And there's one, uh, again, from the IWillBeBack.org community. Uh, there's one where Jesus is standing in this kind of lake of fire. And there's like an Apache army helicopter behind him. And then there's like the military guys doing their walk behind him. And he's just standing there, you know, this white dude in the lake burning up in a robe. And he's like, I've got it under control. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Um, so that's, that's what I think about uh, when I think about this passage is these sort of weird Jesus is coming uh, billboards. In fact, in Florida, the top three billboards that you'll see on loop are Jesus is coming again, um, abortion or adoption, one of those two, and then strippers, always a few exits away. So, and those just cycle through as you're driving. It's the weirdest advertising algorithm to drive through. Like, it's like, I don't even know. One of these is irrelevant. Okay. So... <laughs> So my question is, what do you think about when you hear Jesus say things like this? What do you think about? What comes to mind? Do you picture a church culture that's built on fear and warning? Do you picture experiences maybe of violent, judgmental hate speech that the church has used before? Or do you think back to a church culture or religious culture that you grew up in where the prospects of eternity were sort of held up as these fearful things? You know, maybe your church had the marquee, you know, eternity, smoking or non. Like, I don't know what your church had growing up, but I definitely worked for a church that put that out there before. What do you think of? Well, whatever comes to mind when you hear Jesus say things like this, there's definitely questions that we have. And today what I want to do, because it's the passage given for the first Sunday of the Advent season, is I want to answer a couple of questions. One, what is this even about? And two, what does this have to do with Advent season? This story is taking place in the spring in Jerusalem during one of the big spring festivals called Passover. And Jesus is there, and everybody is there, in fact. If you can get there as a Jew, you get there. And so the population of Jerusalem during the season of Passover swells to an incredible number of people. It's very crowded. There's lots of activity. There's dinners. There's parties. There's dancing. There's drinking. There's eating. There's also a lot of religious services and so on. And at the center of Passover and really at the center of this whole event is the temple. And the temple had this custom. We'll just call it like this open mic custom where in the temple courts, any poet, prophet, or preacher could just stand in the temple courts and hold debates and give speeches, whatever he wants to do. And it was this kind of open mic sort of thing. And because passers-by can just see what's going on and hear what's going on, and because people were interested and because people whatever, it had this street theater kind of feel. And what Luke tells us is that Jesus somehow was holding like a multi-day residency in the temple courts every day. And he was playing all the greatest hits. Cosmic signs, global fear, ecological turmoil, like the earth is falling apart. Like his message every day seems to be the same. Like the world is ending, the end is near, so watch out. Watch out. And he's drawing quite a crowd. 
But if we look back into the passage just a little bit, we see that Jesus had been telling his listeners that the city of Jerusalem would one day fall. It's a prediction he makes that's quite eerie. It's very specific that there will come a day in Jerusalem's history when it will be destroyed. And at the time of him giving this speech, it would be less than 40 years from then. Because the Romans did come into the city of Jerusalem in the year 70, and they decimated it. The temple would be no more, and it would change hands, and everything would change for these people. And he had been teaching them about this, but then he kind of sneakily sort of slides into a different teaching where he talks about the end of time. In the first part of the teaching, it's about there's a time that's coming and this is going to happen, but let me talk about the very end of time, this second coming sort of thing. And the language that Jesus uses, symbolic language, but for his listeners at that time, it's very familiar language. All sorts of earlier Jewish writings use similar images in their writings when they talk about God redeeming creation. The book of Daniel specifically, which is where we get the phrase, the Son of Man, that Jesus uses. It's the only place it appears. And so his listeners are hearing Jesus essentially sample these great texts of their history. They know what he's doing. For us, we read it and we go, that's got to be a billboard. But they're listening to it and they're thinking, they're connecting all the dots. In his words, as complicated as they are, They come from uh, a long-standing belief that existed among the Jewish people, a long-standing theological belief about the world, which was that the world is a mess, that it's broken, and that it continues to break, and that we must in some way hold fast to the hope that God will one day repair everything. That when God seems very silent, in our lives, when he seems silent on the issues, that there is still this hope that he is awake and alive and that he will act and that we will be watching to see that he is acting. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says something here that all of us understand, and that's that nothing lasts forever. That's hard for us. In a cryptic way, Jesus is holding up this thing and he's saying, you know that all of this is going away. All of it, the city, your way of life, your life, it doesn't last forever. All of it is going away. Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Now, we know that intellectually, but it's difficult for us to stomach emotionally because there are just things that feel immortal to us. There are things that we feel are immortal. Friendships. All of us have stories. I hope, hope I'm not the only one, but all of us have stories of together forever. Friends forever. Have you heard from old uh, so-and-so? No. You know, we're not friends anymore. Or we moved away, or she moved away. Or just something went wrong. We've all had friendships that have dissipated. Partnerships, people you're in love with, it feels immortal. And then they cheat on you. 
or they just leave you. Or something happens inside of you and you think, I have to go. Careers. Any amens on this? Like you get a new job, they give you the welcome packet, it feels really good, you're like, this is going to be great. And then you're in this thing for several years or several hours, that would be the worst, and you think, I've made a bad decision. This isn't going to be healthy. Marriages. I don't know how many marriages I've performed at this point, but it's, it's a lot of them. And what I know is that uh, in the early days, I would do these weddings, and I used to keep score. I would like, all of the weddings I've done, they're still married. This is fantastic. And then over the last few years, I've noticed that they begin to break apart. And it's true what they say. Half of them don't last. And it's scary. But on that wedding day, it feels immortal. Some of you understand that. Or just life itself. In our youth, we just feel as though this is just going to keep going forever and ever and ever. And then one day, you recognize that you don't see as good anymore, or your knee hurts all the time, or I'm just walking different now, and I can't keep up, and there's more funerals that you're attending. We know this intellectually, but it's not easy for us to stomach emotionally. And when the things we feel immortal begin to break, we have a reply. We respond. And what Jesus does in this teaching is he points out a couple of ways that we respond when we are coming to grips with things changing and going away and passing away. And the first thing Jesus says is that we tend to respond with panic and with fear. We break down. It troubles us. When things go away, and he speaks of that, this fear and foreboding with what's coming upon us in our world. And then he talks about this kind of, I'm calling it like a selective unconsciousness. It's another way that we respond through avoidance. I can't even. And for those of you who are in my circle of people who struggle with depression, we just sleep through it. Life is tough. I'm going to go take a nap and hope that it goes away, that I'll just sleep through it. It's the way we cope. And it's so strange, but Jesus says to these people and to us 2,000 years down the line, when you are faced with those situations, he says, stand up, get up, and raise your heads. Don't bury yourself. Don't avoid it. Don't panic. But stand up. I love this language. And raise your heads. I'm not a good head raiser because I'm very anxiety ridden. It's very hard for me to look at you when I talk. And if you're talking to me face to face, I just kind of look at your throat. It's very creepy, I know. <laughs> it's very hard. And they told me this in college when I was taking speech classes. The guy's like, what are you looking at? Raise your heads. It's hard. But when life sucks, it's very difficult to raise your head. But these words or these phrases have to do with courage and hope. Have the courage to stand. And have the hope, enough hope, to 
Keep your head lifted high. And then Jesus tells this strange story about trees. Now, I don't know if Luke just put it in the middle when he's writing this down or if this is exactly when Jesus said it. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's brilliant in the middle. Because Jesus tells this story about uh, the fig tree and then all the trees. And he just simply says, like, you guys know that the seasons are changing by simply looking at the trees. I mean, like, it's the, it's the dumbest parable he's ever told. Sorry, Jesus. But, like, he basically just says, like, I don't know if he's just, like, reaching for something. And he's like, you, you know, like, when the leaves change. And everybody's like, uh-huh. He's like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know that the seasons are changing when the leaves are changing. That's it. And then he's like, so also, like if I told that illustration, you'd be like, we're paying for this? Like, <laughs> and then he says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So this is kind of where it gets profound. I mean, Jesus is like, none of this should be a surprise to you. None of this should be a surprise. A few weeks ago, I preached about uh, something. And in the middle of that sermon, I said one of the most mature things that we can do as Christ followers is to get to a place where we are no longer surprised by pain. That we are no longer surprised when the world breaks in front of us. When everyone freaks out, we go, what did you expect? What did you expect? That's what Jesus is saying. You, none of this should be a surprise. But I love what he says here. That heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Again, he's lifting, he's sampling from these Old Testament texts that the earth itself will give up, but the presence and the words and the engagement of God does not pass away. Jesus is saying when everything feels like it's ending, it's not ending. The endings are not the end. The endings are a sign. This is what is, the endings are a sign that redemption is near. So let me close with talking about Advent because we have to. Advent, as you may or may not know, is the very first season of the church year. It's four weeks long and it ends at the manger scene, the very familiar story of the birth of Jesus. And for us, it marks the beginning of another uh, cycle through Uh, the life of Jesus. That's how the church calendar works. We begin in Advent, and we know, if we've been doing this for some time, we know that over the next six months, we're going to walk through the life and the teachings of Jesus, and it takes us all the way through uh, to his death and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. We know that that's where it's going. We are doing this again and again and again. We're starting over once again. So we know that. But one of the things I love about this season is that Advent is a season of honesty. It doesn't begin with the birth stories of Jesus. It doesn't begin with anything like that. It begins with this sense of honesty about the world in which we live. And again, we're not waiting on the birth of Jesus. That's not going to happen. That's already happened, P.S. We are waiting on the second coming of Christ, the second Advent. And so the Advent season... Although it ends at the manger, it really starts here in this honest place of, let's talk about the world we live in. And it's honest about that. That life isn't easy. And that there is real suffering going on. 
See, the world right now is just racing towards December 25th. That's, that's the way it is. Let me just be a prophet here for a moment. And I don't mean future telling. I just mean truth teller. Christmas. Whatever Christmas was is gone. In society. It's gone. It's over. And you know what? Let it go. It's turned into something completely different. That's why I love this season. It's a little kick out, protest kind of. <laughs> Sometimes the Christian calendar looks at the world and goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Black Friday, anyone? Like you just, I love watching those videos. It's so funny and so sad. <clears throat> That's what it's become. It's over, which is good for us because now we can sort of step back and say, why does God feel the need to enter human history in the form of a helpless baby? And it starts here with this honesty that perhaps maybe our world needs a Savior. That life isn't going to be easy. And that there's real suffering happening. That there are things and there are people and there are systems and there are institutions that hurt us. That's the honesty of Advent. That we live in a world that presses against us and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we enter parts of life that we feel we will not get out of. This is what Jesus is imaginatively describing. That we feel stuck. That we cannot escape. But there's this honesty about the weakness also in our faith. And how every single one of us has stood face to face with our own doubts, our own confusions, our own misunderstandings, our own throw the hands in the air moments. Now some of you in this room are entering the holidays knowing this way better than the rest of us. I'm your pastor. I just know some of these stories. Some of you are entering the season. You know this way better than others. That you're entering the holidays with a loss. There's been a loss. This is the first Christmas without. Or maybe you're in a season right now that you fear that you will not make it out of. Whatever that is, career, relationship, health. Or that in your life things are just changing. Or ending, even. And now's not a good time to sing about joy to the world. You're in no mood to shop or celebrate. If, if that's what you're dealing with, Advent is a great season because it's honest about those things. And the birth of Christ sits at the very end of Advent, not as a thing that we are actually waiting on, because again, that's already happened, but it's a story that sits there as a reminder and a symbol of God's engagement with the world. And it is a sign of hope for when all of us feel lost, we move towards the manger in a way that we go slowly. And we see at the end of this that the birth of Christ right there in Bethlehem is a symbol of God's engagement and care for us. And it's a sign of hope. In her essays on Advent, uh, Fleming Rutledge writes these words. Every year, she says, the Advent to Christmas momentum proclaims the God who breaks his own silence by coming in person. 
And Jesus closes this teaching with to stay awake. That's what he says. What do we do with all of this? And Jesus says, just stay awake. I love that part of following Christ is about consciousness. Don't sleep. Don't panic. Stay awake. And stay awake has so many varied meanings, but Jesus in the Bible itself uses this phrase so many times to speak about this kind of intentionality about your life. Stay awake. Jesus tells this great old story about uh, these bridesmaids that are camping out on the edge of town waiting for the groom to come home. And they each have lamps with oil. I don't know if you know this story, but, you know, some were dumb, some were smart. In other words, some had oil, some didn't, and their lamps began to burn out. And then those who were smart enough to think ahead, to think ahead have fire. They have light. But the story is about honestly staying awake, being prepared, not just for what's coming in your life so that you can encounter that, but also to see when God is coming and when God is working. And every single Advent season, the tradition of lighting the candle sits in that uh, theology of staying awake. Yes, we light them to mark the time to move us towards Christmas. But we also light the candle because we know the world has a lot of dark corners. And it's just one candle, but the Advent candle puts darkness on notice. Amen? Like, that's what it does. That's what we do. When it feels as though life is doing its thing and it's going downhill, the church gathers on the first Sunday of Advent and it lights a candle, putting all of that on notice that there is a way forward and a way out of these things.